Twice this week I was in situations where we played the this or that game, known as would you rather. It's a pretty old game where you have to choose one thing because you can't have both. The point is to get to know one another in a fun way. So you're asked about two maybe appealing or maybe unpleasant or maybe tricky choices. You know what I'm talking about. Ocean or mountains? Ice cream or sorbet? Book or movie? There are, of course, deeper ones that really make us think, which reveal more about us, of course, to those that we're with. For instance, would you rather speak to animals or speak 10 different languages? Would you rather sing your favorite song all by yourself in front of an arena full of people or just in front of the person who wrote the song? <laughs> Would you rather never ever have to wait in line again or always get the best parking spot? Now, a few things, of course, about this. It's a it's fun to play this game because it's theoretical. It doesn't matter. We can answer however we want because we're probably never going to have to decide between these extreme and sometimes ridiculous choices. In real life, it's harder. I remember when I was a young 20-something working at Cliff Drive, and I learned to negotiate with three-year-olds who wanted two things at the same time. And when we were both at our limit of talking about it, I learned to say, you can either go on the swings or you can play with the ball, but you can't do both. And while there were sometimes tears, most of the time they were glad to get one of the choices outright because sometimes those choices were going to disappear altogether. But then sometimes we wish that we had a real choice about something over that we really care about, but we have no control. I wish I had cancer instead of my friend. I wish I could be at two places in one time because I hate missing this thing that I care so much about. I wish I could go back in time and do that awful thing I did differently. We wish, like the game, that we had a real opportunity to change the reality that we're living in because we don't always love the one that we're in. Judah has been playing a real-life version of Would You Rather? And God's not amused. They don't like the situation they're in, so they're trying to create their own reality, which kind of like the game isn't actually possible. But as they dig in, because that's what they're doing, God makes a few things clear to them. It's the same story we know, but today we have fresh verses. And so we ask for the Spirit to give us insight that our hearts would be open to what the Lord would have to say to us where we are in our journey with the Lord. So this morning I'm going to read the scripture in chunks so that we can talk about it right after we read it. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, there you are. So today we're in Isaiah 30. I encourage you to open the Pew Bible in front of you. It's the same that's going to be on the screen. So we're going to start with a piece that actually wasn't one that we were going to study, but it fits so well that I couldn't just leave it out. So I decided to add it. So this is the first seven verses of Isaiah 30. 
Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but against my will, adding sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my counsel, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the protection of Pharaoh shall become your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zoan, and his envoys reach Hanes, everyone comes to shame, through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, only shame and disgrace. An oracle concerning the animals of the Negev, through a land of trouble and distress, of lioness and roaring lion, of viper and flying serpent, they carry their riches on the backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people that cannot profit them. For Egypt's health is worthless and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab and sit still. Who sits still? So Judah knows an Assyrian invasion is on its way. And they've been told to not make any more alliances with other countries, particularly with Egypt, who is rather past their prime at this point. However, Judah is in a national crisis and fumbling about trying to find their way, and the impending doom that is happening is what they are doing. Would they rather be sitting ducks while they wait for Assyria, or would they rather appeal to Egypt, perhaps becoming a vassal state to their neighbor? As we see, they choose making plans with Egypt. Now, on paper, this isn't the worst idea. They're small. They could use the help that anyone is willing to offer. But God has told them no. He has told them not to do this. He has told them that he wants to be their protector. He wants to be the one that they turn to when they are being threatened. But that's not the option that they want. They want assurance of protection now. And God tells them, this is a disgrace. This is a shameful choice. We don't like hearing that in, when it's ourselves and our lives. God says, this is a shameful choice. It's a slap in Yahweh's face. Because they are, in essence, saying, Pharaoh is stronger than you. Which is ironic and tragic given their history right? That they had to be rescued from that superpower already, which is a huge, huge piece of the foundation of their lives. Isaiah says it was embarrassing when the Egyptian ambassadors came to Judah and saw how very little Judah had to offer in return for Egypt's protection. But they give their treasures in vain on the humps of camels and on donkeys because in the end, and they don't know this yet, but Egypt isn't going to do anything to help. So this is really a heartless, futile transaction. Well, God is just holding out his hands for a relationship. There are times we take the bad deal, all the while ignoring God. And we have our reasons, and we could tell them to one another clearly and succinctly. Even if deep down we knew that the deal was pointless, or wrong, sometimes we still grasp. And we try to hold on. So we ask ourselves this morning, 
Where have we built alliances that have compromised our faith in God? We've talked a little bit about this before earlier in Isaiah, but it's still a good question. Someone is always offering out their hand to give us some kind of deal. I know a dear friend who doesn't live in this town, a senior who this week who was very, very scammed, who wanted a good deal because it looked good, but in the end, it was so painful. This is a good word for us when we are in a bad situation where we have used poor judgment to trust others, when God was the only one who could help us, who could protect us, who could provide for us, who used us, and then cast us aside. And Isaiah is trying to tell us that anyone we look to besides God to be a security puts us in a precarious position because only one is perfect. And so we want to listen well and act accordingly. Verse 8. Go now, God says, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it on a scroll so that it may be for them the time to come as a witness forever. For they are a rebellious people, faithless children, children who will not hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right, Speak to us smooth things. I love that. Smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. And let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Now this is the second time Isaiah has been instructed to write down the message, the direct message that he has received from Yahweh. And the purpose isn't to sell it at the local bookstore or to have it in a dusty library. It's to be a witness to future generations of the truth that God longs to give those who will listen. Indeed, these words are still living for us today. And we hear the faithfulness and the mercy and the holiness of God still the same for us now. Everyone who hears God's word has to decide if they will obey it or not. So would Judah rather listen to the instruction of the Lord? Or would they rather turn aside and find their own path? Again, we see the answer here. They would choose that which is contrary to what God wants for them. They literally tell Isaiah and the other prophets, we don't want to hear any more what is right. We don't want to see the truth. We only want teaching, smooth teaching. <laughs> You're going to take that with you, smooth teaching to make us feel good. Did you see verse 12? Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Stop talking to us about God. That's what they're saying. Stop talking to us about God. This is the heart of rebellion. Now I did a little poking around and research about rebellion, found some interesting things. Some are obvious, but I just want to speak them anyway. Our brains want to rebel, scientists say, in order to guarantee that we are free to do whatever we want with our own life. There's a theory called the reactance theory and says that we rebel in order to regain a sense of control over a situation where we feel like we have lost it. Now, some other scientists say that rebellion, especially in adolescence, is a healthy response to the status quo when we feel indignation 
about the limitations and dissatisfaction about our immediate circumstances. In other words, when we're mad about the rules. Can we just say that? Indignation, yes. Mostly, of course, from our family of origin. Now, most other researchers have shown, most have shown, that young people in every era are predisposed to shake up the established order. Amen? Yeah, we've been there. Yeah, maybe we're there right now. There's a difference, although, between rebellion against an authority who says you have to do something and the rebellion that occurs when you're trying to change the parameters or the boundaries of your life for some reason. And those things can be positive or negative. Here's an interesting fact. Re new research is showing that a lot of rebellions, civil wars, those kinds of things arise out of a sense of relative deprivation, not really because people are rebelling against the status quo. People feel like they have economic lack or they want more social position, not because they hate other people, because they think that they deserve more than what they have. Lastly, there is rebellious behavior based on situation, and then there are just rebellious people. We call people rebels who don't like the status quo and who break established rules, even if it won't go well for them, because they have an innate need to um, assert themselves, their power, they want to compensate, perhaps, because of their experiences for some kind of inner weaknesses at their place of work and life. And when they are obstinate, punishment only increases their rebellious behavior. That one was for free. So it's good for us to think about our personalities. It's good for us to think about the places where we rebel, where we say, nope, I'm not doing that. Nope, I will not. Is it against the authorities of our lives? Is it because we think that the rule is dumb? Not all rebellion is bad. I'm not saying that it is. Some of it is actually quite healthy. But when rebellion is self-serving, when it dismisses the truth of the Lord's instruction for our life, we're on dangerous ground. So are there areas of your life that you would say or the Holy Spirit would say, you're in a danger zone here. You are rebelling actually against me. You need to think about that. Listen to what God says will happen to Judah in verse 12. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you reject this word and put your trust in oppression and deceit and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall become for you like a break in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose crash comes suddenly in an instant. Its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found for taking fire from the hearth or dipping water out of the cistern. So now we've moved out of the would you rather conversation. Are in, instead, we're in a place of difficulty for Judah. They're going to experience difficulty because how their choices have impacted their relationship with the Lord. They've relied on their cruelty and their lies. So they're given a picture of this bulging wall that is about to collapse because the pressure has built up and it's getting ready to fall. And I was thinking about the video that came out a few weeks ago from um, a roller co coaster in the south. Did any of you see that? That there was a steel support pillar that had a crack in it and the crack had actually gotten worse and it was completely uh, moving, oh, like it was separating 
uh-huh, from the tracks when the coaster was going around. And this dad took a picture, a video of it. His kids had already ridden the coaster several times, and uh, he was horrified. So he took it to um, one of the workers, and the workers looked up and said, I, I don't see anything. And then he took it to three other people, and they're like, I, what? I, no, there's nothing for us to do. And then he took it to another person, and they were like, okay, well, send me the video, and maybe I'll, like, send it on or whatever. <laughs> The crack had been visible for six days, and then finally it totally had separated. See, the, the picture of this bulging wall about to collapse because the pressure has increased and everything that has been used as a protection is failing. Sometimes we use our strength and our defenses to make our defenses stronger. Sometimes we deny that anything is wrong. But when our systems stop working and we don't have any reserves left, change has to happen. And if we don't shut things down and rebuild, the whole thing is going to crumble. And God says, here, Judah, it's because of your sin that's just been building up. And now everything is going to fall apart. It's hard to tell the difference between God's judgment and natural consequences. Our lies, our self-centeredness, how we turn away from God. The break in the wall, which has been a steel fortress, is going to be like the shattering of just a common pot. The force is going to be so hard, not a shard is going to be left big enough to scoop up water or to scoop up ash from the fireplace. This is a recurring theme of the clay pot. It's not the potter who's throwing the pot against the wall. It's imploding from the inside, and people's lives are in danger. There are seasons of our life where everything seems to be broken beyond repair, like this picture. But here is a lifeline from God, another would-you-rather moment for Israel. Verse 15, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. But you refused and said, No, we will flee upon horses, therefore you shall flee. And we will ride upon swift steeds, Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, and the threat of five you shall flee until you are left, like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. God is offering them something so beautiful here. Would you rather return to the Lord the Holy One of Israel, and find rest for your soul? Would you be willing to come, God says, in quiet trust? In this scenario, Isaiah says, God will be your strength and your song. Return to God, Isaiah says. Rest in God. This is salvation. Quietness and trust in God. This is strength. Again, Judah doesn't choose God's way. They are quoted as saying that they're going to flee. And I think Isaiah is trying to tell us how we think our choices will lead to greatness and freedom and autonomy. But God is saying here that the decisions that we make to not choose him will lead to more heartache and more destruction. Where have you seen this in your life? The message is how trust in God is where we find the deepest underpinnings of our life. So the Lord responds by saying, I'll wait. 
I'll wait for you with mercy and justice and grace. Go, ride your horses, flee away while your enemies pursue you. I will wait. I will be here. I will be constant. We serve a God who keeps the promises that he makes. In some ways, these verses are a good bookend to where we started when the people wanted to trust Egypt. And while we wait for deliverance, God is waiting for us to turn to him. In real life, our choices aren't always as clear as a group sitting around your living room asking if for a year you would rather speak like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader. (laughs) Think about that. Choose wisely. Oftentimes, we want both choices. That's part of the problem. You are being asked to work through some kind of dilemma of what you really want and then to reveal that to someone else. And I wonder if that isn't what absolutely is happening in this situation. Judah wants Egypt's help and God's protection. They want a smooth life and God's blessing. By saying that we want our way and what God has to offer is really saying we want our way, isn't it? But the Lord is giving clear choices. So the people get to the point where they don't want to hear anything more about God. And if those, that's the choice, then forget it. We're going to reject it and walk away. When I think about my own life, there have been very clear moments when I knew exactly what God wanted. And there have been others when I've had to struggle to understand the direction that I was supposed to go in. And there have been a few when I have known and grappled with God's will. Being fearful of the change, thinking it was asking too much of me, not knowing exactly what the end would be where Jesus was leading. And I had a stretch when I was pretty done, where I was like, I don't want to hear any more about Jesus. Stop it right now. And when you stop and think about your life in Christ, I imagine you see similar milestones and seasons. One of the reasons why Isaiah is being so definitive here is because the people have turned so far away from what they've known to be true, and they've rejected the Lord. This is a prolonged situation. We know that. But God acts the same in our lives all the time and in the larger sphere of the church. And people are doing exactly the opposite of what he wants. What I love about this message is how Yahweh will not let go. There's a relentlessness about God's pursuit that I want us to pay attention to here. He keeps coming back to them when easily he could have done this. He could have written them off. He continues to reach out and to offer hope and to offer a way back so that their lives could be in sync with him again and with the truth that he wants them to know. Like the prodigal son, the song that Jake sang, that our hearts would be soft towards God. If you're in a place of rebellion or you're going down a path today that you know is not the right path, God is not going to let go. He's going to keep pursuing you and holding out his hand to you. So let's end with verses that I'm not going to preach on, just listen to in 19 through 22. Such incredibly life-giving and good promise. O people in Zion, inhabitants of Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Though the Lord may give you the bread of adversity 
and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself any longer, but your eyes shall see your teacher. And when you turn to the right, or when you turn to the left, your ear shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And then you will defile your silver-covered idols and your gold-plated images. You will scatter them like impure things, and you will say to them, away with you. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.